GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. On Gibraltar today, Christina Gordes brings us the latest on the Morrison's pay dispute. Gibraltarian playwright Lewis Emmett Stern, whose play Spaceships, took London by storm and is back on the rock. And £2.8 million from the COVID fund, public donations, will now be used to refurbish the main entrance to St. Bernard's Hospital and the primary care centre. The Minister for Public Health and Environment, John Gordes, was in the studio to discuss that and a host of other issues, including litter enforcement. After six months of uh, industrial action, half a year, when you think about it, um, the members have now voted to accept a new pay offer. Uh, there was a turnout of over 90, 97% of Unite uh, Morrison's members, with 76% voting in favour of the pay proposal that Unite says it's thrashed out with Morrison's senior management over a number of meetings. The union says the pay increases vary depending on the job role, so whether the, uh, but when they'll be fully implemented, which is as of October, that's sort of being... Uh, phased in to some extent, it'll they'll represent pay increases of between 6.8 to 7.4 percent, with the 7.4 percent the largest increase for the customer assistant role. Uh, it says an important part of the offer as well is that there were no strings attached, so no dilution of allowances, unsocial hours payments, or conditions of employment, which is part of uh, what the the initial complaints were about when this strike uh, began. Was was what the union termed as these. Uh, I spoke to the lead official for Morrison's, Christian Duo. And he said he was uh, confident that what he called an inflation plus deal would not have been achieved had it not been for the strike. Um, he says it will help tackle the cost of living crisis for members at the store, but that there's still much to be done to achieve a living wage. And he also paid tribute to the shop stewards and the members for the commitment over such a long strike. I want to pay tribute to uh, our shop stewards who are behind me, our negotiating uh, team, and then to every single member who has been in the dispute. Like I said, it's been a long, long, a long dispute, and we are happy that uh, you know, um, with the cost of living, the inflation currently in Gibraltar 6.2, that we have managed to surpass that that mark. That was Unite the Union's Christian Thor. And Christina, originally the, the issue was that Morrison's workers in Gibraltar said it was wrong that they were paid around £2 less per hour less than their UK counterparts. How does this uh, bring, how will this compare now once this offer is, is accepted? So I did put it to uh, Mr Thor whether, whether they'd, you know, they'd achieved parity, which was one of the things that they were calling for. And it, the deal does not achieve that, but he was still happier with it than with the previous uh, uh, pay offer. And he does in fact say that, you know, this is will help tackle the cost of living, but uh, in, in the statement today, he said there's still much work to be done to achieve a living wage. But that the sort of the resolution of this strike um, will, and the fact that they've managed to negotiate and enter this dispute, will work towards rebuilding a constructive industrial relationship with the employer going forward. I know you haven't been able to speak to any of those members today, but what was the general feeling amongst the union now that this has um, kind of reached its conclusion? Well, as you say, I, um, I wasn't able to, to to speak to many of them today. But uh, from the, the few who were there, who did not uh, want to talk on camera when I interviewed Mister Mister Thor earlier, they definitely looked uh, a lot happier with it. And uh, as I said, uh, the seventy six percent of Unite members have have accepted this deal. So hopefully, this is goes some way towards addressing those concerns over the cost of living, which is of course affecting uh, a, a lot of people. And there's also be a reintegration plan for bringing those workers back in, which is another thing that's obviously been difficult for, for those people who are part of, part of Unite, uh, with other Morrison's members not being part of Unite. There's an integration plan to bring them back into work. 
Now, Louis, welcome to the show. Hi. Welcome back to Jib. It's been a while. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me, Kelly. First things first, it's not actually called Spaceships, is it? But the title is not radio-friendly. No, we can't say it. We can't say it, at least at this hour. We definitely can't (laughs) say it on radio. What's the play about? I'm guessing, as a title would suggest, it's exploring quite adult themes. Yeah, I think so. So the play uh, is about, centres around two couples, um, uh, two guys, one called Dan and one called Leo, and uh, two women, uh, Anna and Emily. And um, for very different reasons, they both uh, invite a third person into their home and into their relationship. Uh, and the play is sort of a comedy drama with sort of like a sci-fi twist um, at how this this third person sort of invades and abducts their relationship. So looking at like uh, the, a- the alien in the relationship and the third person and, and that as a metaphor. Um, so yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah, we just finished the, the run in London. Um, the, the second run, uh, which was a three-week run at the Soho Theatre and we had such a great response. Um, so really couldn't have asked for, for, a, for a better uh, response from the show. Mm-hmm. When you're putting together something so unique and something that maybe is a bit outside the box, are you ever nervous about how the crowd, or you must be nervous, know about how the crowd is going to respond? Yeah, I think that's with anything because uh, I think if you write from like a place of truth, that's, that's always quite vulnerable. So... Um, I think it's been interesting, like, actually the things that I think maybe I was nervous about have actually been the things people have embraced maybe the most. So that's been really nice to to experience. Um, but yeah, I think there's always a fear. It's always terrifying, you know, whatever, any any opening night you sort of Anytime there. you put yourself yeah, out there, oh there's gosh. always that vulnerability, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Like performing or directing or writing and you're like, suddenly like, a bunch of people are sat and listening to this and, and, and that's quite nerve-wracking, but also really, really thrilling as well. So, yeah. Have you had experience of being on stage before? Have you acted and yeah, you yeah. kind of experienced all the different so, roles? So, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I sort of came up acting and did a lot locally when I was younger, and then uh, went to drama school originally to train as an actor, which I did for three years. And then uh, during my time as an actor, realised I think I actually really like telling my own stories, um, and so uh, I. During my final year at drama school, I did a, a program at the Soho Theatre, which is where the play has just done, which is called The Writer's Lab, where they take on sort of a couple of writers a year as in residence to write a play across a sort of nine month period. And they support you sort of artistically and financially. Um, and I just sort of something went off my brain. I was like, this is, I think this is this is for me. And so I then went and uh, I did my master's um, in London and, and sort of moved into the big city and was very exposed to all the theatre happening. Um, so I sort of came into it through that, yes, and direct as well a little bit. Um, but I think I really, at the moment, I found my sort of passion in the storytelling, I think. Well, Time Out magazine agrees because, Louis, they say you're a new writer worth looking out for and they've called your new play an uncanny and razor-sharp hoot on name alone. So how does it feel when you receive praise like that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible. I, I We were actually in rehearsals the first time um, when that article, when the Time Out article came out, and it was like Louis Emmett Stern is a rising star playwright, and just like, what am I reading? Like, this is insane. Like a dream come true, yeah, I imagine. Of course, amazing articles to get, and I think really sort of um, was 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 in a way like very helpful to uh, the piece and and um, and the transfer and and the response to it as well. Um, and across reviews have been so uh, so brilliant and so generous. Um, and I'm, it's nice that it's it's hitting with reviewers as well as, as with the audiences. And it's nice to have both both those things work together. But you also had great success with Slippery. Yes. Uh, was that your, your first play? Because yes. that won the Soho Theatre's Tony Craze Award. Yes, that's been a, a really, uh, a play I think um, is probably one of my most proudest achievements. And it's a slightly larger play. Um, 
in it's, it's a two-hander and it happens in real time so uh it's an hour and a half on stage and it happens in an hour and a half and there's uh they cook a spaghetti carbonara through the show so it's all very like it happens in sort of almost as real life as possible and um and yeah that place has been through a number of developments and is currently optioned and in development for production fingers crossed next year if everything's okay oh amazing so that'll be really exciting to, yeah, to super finally exciting. get audiences as well yeah. after such a great sort of response in development so yeah very exciting hopefully. exciting times for you before we start and before you put on your your environment hat, mm-hmm. we have had a lot of feedback on the story of uh, the, well, we've had nearly 60 comments, in fact, on the hospital and PCC door refurbishment. Mm-hmm. And it will see people's donations to the COVID fund, that's £2.8 million, to create a single main entrance. We've had a lot of feedback. Just some of the comments we received, Alison said, please put it towards our mental health. We need professionals for our vulnerable ASAP. Brian says, I made a donation, but not for a new doorway. He goes on to say, times are tight. Give the money to the needy. Rianne, another one. Uh, the irony of this story is that it follows that of a young man currently sat in a cell due to the very same GHA failing him. And that irony is not lost. She refers to a 21-year-old man who has reportedly been waiting two years to see a psychologist. He's now facing offences committed whilst off his medication, including assault. She says, could this £2.8 million not be invested in mental health instead? You're asking me. Uh, <laughs> well, as, yeah, think, well, you're, you're Minister are, for Public Health, uh, yeah, a I member of, of government. Comments. This has been put out to, to, for public uh, um, comment. And I think all these comments are, are very valid. I, I haven't got direct responsibility for health any longer. I did about six six years ago, I think it was. Um, um, so I think these comments would have to be borne in mind. Uh, as I say, it is asking the community for a response. I think it's a, the right way of doing it. I think the, the community has to have a say. And these are valid comments that I am sure that the GHA will bear in mind. And I will certainly transmit them to them now that I've heard them. I, I hadn't heard those uh, responses mm-hmm. These before. are just a few. We've had nearly sure. 60 as well as a couple of callers who, who've rung in since the show began. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could go on. Mike says uh, what they need to improve is the appointment system. What a waste of money. Joe says the entrance is fine as it is. Buy new ambulances and hire the different therapists needed for people with special needs. Some haven't seen a therapist for over a year. Uh, I mean, the GHA is consulting uh, the yeah. public on this. So if the feedback is that people don't think the money should be used on this refurbishment, would government reconsider going ahead with these plans? Well, I can't speak for GHA, and I can't speak for No, but as a for, member of government ministry, and as a I think the public, public health minister. Is letting the GHA know very clearly from what I hear um, what it feels, and I think the GHA uh, will respond. Um, I, I'm, I'm really interested and, and uh, uh, very pleased to hear the kind of engagement that there has been. Well, there certainly it's has been plenty area, of it. So I can't tell you what my decision would be. That wouldn't be fair. But I think the voices have to be heard and they have been asked for. So, um, yeah. Moving back to environment, you did hold a, you held a press conference this morning on litter enforcement. Now, tougher penalties were announced earlier this year. So what's new in regards to that? Well, we're starting a campaign. There's a lot of people working very hard uh, on litter and refuse. Sadly, sometimes we don't see that result on the ground because uh, litter has to be removed only because somebody else has put it there. And that is the link we have to break. We've got to stop the people putting it there. And sadly, that will mean enforcement as well. So there's going to be an awareness campaign. There's going to be a lot of people out in the street 
um, monitoring what people are doing with their rubbish and when litter is being dropped or where where accumulations are gathering and people will be uh, approached and they will be told uh, that this cannot be done. There's going to be a soft approach for the first couple of weeks where people will be warned, if this if you do this again in two weeks' time, you're going to be fined and then we will we'll start the, the, the enforcement proper. I love, uh, other things have changed in that there's now an additional collection of refuse from most of the town uh, area deposits or, or bin stores in the middle of the day. Um, which is meant to increase the capacity because essentially you're doubling it if you if you're emptying it twice. So we're encouraging people, uh, both businesses and residents, who have rubbish uh, ready in the morning to put it out in the bin stores in the morning, so then it won't clutter in the afternoon. That's another thing. Um, we are also uh, now um, going to be enforcing the recycling side of it. So if you're going to put something in the recycling bin, it's got to be the right kind of recycling. A lot of people just put ordinary rubbish into a recycling bin and that spoils the whole process. It can be quite confusing, the recycling process, I suppose, if you're not too aware with what goes yeah, in which well, bin. The, the, there's information and it's available. It's available online. You know, it's the green for glass, the yellow for plastic and tetrabrick and so on, the blue for paper, and then we've got for 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 waste electronic equipment. So I mean, the information is there available uh, and we're encouraging people to do it. Um, I think I think we're just trying to step up awareness um, and, and asking people to cooperate with, with all the professionals who are really trying hard. How will this be enforced? Will there be litter wardens watching what people are putting in yeah, the bins? There will be people in the street. Um, we've got the wardens, we have the environmental agency, the uh, environmental protection and research unit. Um, uh, obviously, there is also competence for, for the, the police. So the different agencies will be out there initially to approach people and tell them, look, do it like this, don't do it like that. There's a bin store there. Don't drop the, the, the bag of household refuse here to try and get that on site. And then after that, we now have fines which can be up to a thousand pounds. You know, it's was a big hike up from what it was it's a big previously. Hike because we've been trying to do it a la buena, but you know, sometimes, um, it People was, who it was don't 250 don't pounds, problem, 250 pounds before for, this. For normal yeah, litter now and a thousand. thousand for dangerous litter. Uh, but look, um, you can do it on our way but if people don't respond, we really have to try and step up. We owe it to the rest, to the majority of the community that wants a clean Gibraltar. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.